0: Hi, I'm Dr. Steve Elias, and welcome to another podcast from Vein Magazine, also known as Vein Specialists Sitting Around Talking, Having Drinks. In this podcast, we speak to some younger members of the vein community, Angela Kokosis and Pam Kim, both women, both young, and both at Stony Brook University Department of Vascular Surgery. We get their thoughts about the vein world and what they feel we should be highlighting for people getting into this space and those who want to learn more about vein disease. Take a listen. Today we'd like to welcome uh, two of the younger people in the vein specialist business. Anyhow, you guys are both at Stony Brook, so Pam, why don't you tell us what you're doing at Stony Brook first?
1: Okay, so I just started. I've been as at- Stony Brook as an attending for about two months now. Um, and When you
0: say you started, started?
1: As a, as a full-fledged attending.
0: As a real attending? As
1: a real-life attending, Okay. Yes.
0: But where did you come from?
1: Um, I have been at Stony Brook for about the past eight years. I did my general surgery residency at Stony Brook, and then I stayed for a phlebology fellowship there, and then my vascular surgery fellowship as well.
0: So you did a phlebology fellowship and a vascular surgery fellowship? Yes. You may be the only. Do you think you're the only one
2: who's not, done both? That,
0: who's done both?
2: She might be. Yeah, Angela. Quite. You, yeah. By the way. Yeah, that's not a common phenomenon.
0: So you went from phlebology fellowship to vascular fellowship.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So if anyone says, "Can you take care of veins?", no one's going to question. I hope your not. Your credential, care, right? <laughs> okay. They make credential mine or Angela's, but not yours, because <laughs> you've done everything. We haven't done both of those things at all. <laughs> and Angela, you she's been around for a while, not so much of a while. The reason yeah. I have Angela and Pam here is because they're both relatively young and certainly younger than I. So I wanted to get their take on the vein world, the younger people's take. But Angela, tell us how long you've been over there at Stony Brook. Yeah, so
2: I've been at Stony Brook now four years. Uh, I did integrated vascular training uh, in the city at Mount Sinai, and then right afterwards I was recruited to Stony Brook. My practice is a combination of venous procedures, uh, outpatient veins, uh, as well as some arterial stuff as well.
0: Right, so you're still doing arterial. Yeah, and I think that's more the usual for younger people. It's now, Pam. Are you doing arterial as well? I am. Is... I'm,
1: I I specialize in cold legs. It in cold like. legs. Do you
0: specialize in cold legs and warming them up? Or and just, warming okay, them up. Okay. <laughs> you don't just get them cold and cut them off. You try to get them to warm up again. Yes. Okay. That's the goal. That's the goal, <laughs> right. right? That's what I was trying Absolutely.
1: to do. That yes. is our goal.
0: So let's talk a little <laughs> bit about, about the vein world. First of all, I mean, obviously you're, you're both women. And uh, we always in, in vein like to highlight the upcoming women in, in the vein specialist world as well. Do you think there are more women practicing vein disease, or kind of semi-specializing, whether it's a full-time thing or part-time uh, with their practice?
1: I, I certainly think that's the
2: trend. Yeah, you agree? I would agree subjectively. Absolutely. I mean, even just at the Venus meetings, we definitely see more women uh, there that are in practice. Yeah, that's what
0: I'm I'm thinking. These in in the generation, the first, what I call the first wave when we first started just really doing vein disease as the minimally invasive stuff came on board in the late 90s and and early 2000s, it was mostly a male, because most of the people that would even do vascular surgery Mm -hmm. were, were, were men. And there's a few, you know, women that you can point to that are kind of in what, what the second wave, meaning in between my generation and your guys' generation. But now I, I agree with you. I see a lot more. And, do you think it makes sense, Angela? No, I think so. Sense, let's talk about sense from a from the doctor's side and sense from the patient side. So let's first talk about the doctor's side.
2: Yeah, I think, you know, from the doctor's side, it makes sense. I mean, the lifestyle of current vein specialists is probably not what it was years ago. And I would even go so far as to say a lot of the training pathways to be a vein specialist is not the same as it was years ago. Uh, I mean, now, because of the phlebology fellowships, we're seeing a lot of people who have different backgrounds. They're not just vascular surgeons that are getting into this field. So I think that's also promoted more of the women uh, that are entering the workforce,
0: and how about Pam from the from the patient's viewpoint? Do you do you think there's an advantage to the vein specialist uh, being a woman when the patient comes to see the vein specialist, or? Is it not as impactful as we might think?
1: I do think there's certainly um, an advantage in being a a woman um, vein specialist, especially since so many of our patients are women. And um, I think just by default, they feel more comfortable. And I think they feel like they can relate a little bit better to a female surgeon.
0: Right. And... and I don't know about you, Pam, but I know Angela. She'll tell us you have a child now, right, Angela? I do. So, on the way. <laughs> so you right? So you've been so you so you're in that pregnancy state where women always say, "Oh, and this vein came from my first child. This one came from my second. Mm-hmm. So I agree. You guys Absolutely. are going to you certainly can relate, you know, a little bit better. So let's let's kind of go a little further down that road in terms of uh, women. What do you think are the unmet needs? needs that women may have in the vein in the vein world what what kind of things you think that we're not giving them that they that they that you think that patients may want i may mean, have my own feelings about it but what is there anything or is there you know when a woman comes to a a vein specialist is there something unique to women's uh, either experience anatomy complaints that you think are underserved in the vein world
1: I think a big part of it is just um, broader education within um, the community that a lot of women, I think, just take a look at their legs and say, oh, I have some varicose veins. I have some veins that may not look so bad, but they don't necessarily think it it would be an issue or something um, worse or say if they have symptoms of their disease, but they don't really think it's from that. They think it's just because, oh, I've been running around with my four kids all day and that's the problem. And so um, I think just... Spreading the word that this is something that can be helped is 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 a, an important factor in, in um, just broader education.
2: Yeah, and I'd say in continuing in that same vein, that you know we there it's still under recognized the women that are experiencing the pelvic congestion syndromes and just having that knowledge of you know, how many pregnancies a woman has had, asking those questions. You know, maybe some of our male counterparts, they're not comfortable asking those questions. So I think that that's a huge component.
0: Yeah, and that's the kind of the way where I was thinking of is that I think that the, the pelvic venous disease and pelvic venous issues are not, it's becoming more highlighted now as we speak more about it, but are not... As highlighted as they should be, mm-hmm. and I think some male physicians, a maybe, are not attuned to that because they haven't had significant pelvic pain. You know, even women who just go through their menstrual cycle have mm-hmm. have pelvic pain, and they know that that can be debilitating, whether they have pelvic venous disease or not. So, female vein specialists can certainly relate better. And um, I also think that there is a reluctance, like you say, some. Men don't feel comfortable asking some of the questions that they should ask when they see a patient with vein disease and they suspect something, you know, further down. Do you do you think that the gynecologists? What do you think of them, the OBs and the gynecologists? Do you think that they're as attuned as they should be and aware as to what we can do to help these people?
1: I, I don't really think so. No, um, it seems that whenever we speak to gynecologists about this issue, that it's it, it seems new for them. Do you yeah, agree? I, I would totally agree. Yeah. And so after after like a lunch and learn or a brief like grand rounds or something like that that we do, we do see an influx of, of these uh, patients for consultation. And I think that's that's really speaking to uh, the fact that it's it's really not well known, not in the – the patient community, or even in our own medical profession, absolutely. Yeah,
0: no, I, I I agree with that. Now, let's let's just go in a in a little different area, okay? Um, what? Well, let's see. How how should we say this? Um, how can we or should we get more people, younger people, involved? younger people who are in medical training, involved with considering a career in treating vein disease. Do we, do we have enough already? Too many? Or not enough?
2: Well, I mean, if you look at the pathology at from the, the standpoint of prevalence in the United States, I mean, we all know that venous disease is four times more prevalent than arterial disease. So I would say there there definitely must be an unmet need. Uh, there probably aren't enough skilled vein specialists to take care of all these patients.
0: Um, yeah, now there are some people practicing who would not want anyone else in the field because they think all of a sudden they're not going to have anybody to treat. But what? You, so, so Pam, I mean, you went, you went from you know not being in the in the. Uh, vein world at all not even being in the vascular world to deciding you wanted to do veins and then deciding you also want to do vascular surgery what what made you and and you decide and and do you do you know anyone else who's kind of gone that route as well in terms of the thought process
1: i don't think in general surgery training nowadays or it it doesn't seem like um venous disease is highlighted very much and i think in general within a traditional vascular fellowship it's not highlighted that very much as as well and so i think if you do have an interest in it either you do vascular surgery fellowship and you try to do more cases or you can do now this phlebology fellowship is um is available but Having gone through the phlebology fellowship and gone to all these specialized meetings and conferences, it's made me realize how much of that education is lacking within either both general surgery and vascular. Um, And so I'm very glad I actually did the fellowship. And it, it makes me realize that it is a very specialized field. And you do need people who are specifically trained to be able to treat patients in the correct manner. It may seem simpler from from a superficial point of view, but it, it, it can be quite a complex uh, disease process.
0: Yeah. No. Yeah. I I mean, obviously, I, I believe in that's all I do. I haven't done any arterial exactly. stuff in like 18 years. So it's not that the procedures are so hard. I think the sometimes the diagnosis of what to do when exactly. is a little more difficult than the arterial side of things. Yeah. Um, that to me is where I see the, the, the vein world going.
2: Yeah, and you know, just to clarify what I said earlier about needing more vein specialists, I think it's not that we don't have so many now. I think it's that we don't have enough comprehensive vein specialists, right. like Pam is suggesting, that have gone through some sort of training that actually understand all superficial deep venous disease to really mm-hmm. help these patients.
0: Yeah, I agree with you because actually. All vein disease many times is interconnected. In other words, patients can have a combination of issues. Some it can just be below the the, the inguinal ligament. It can be only above. But but in general, there's a combination. You got to kind of sort out where you you may see the tip of the iceberg, and really the underlying pathology is, is somewhere else within the, the the body and stuff. Exactly. Um. I want to go. I want to kind of finish up in a little bit um uh, so i I want to think of if you guys could change some of the things in the in the teaching paradigm that um we we either do it the do it the courses or um in the in the training we already discussed it that we should incorporate a little more in general surgery and vascular surgery but in the courses what you see a lack you see something that, that can be added or something more we should highlight in courses that, you know, like you said, Pam, you come to special training programs. Angela, you teach at many of those programs. Um, anything we should be highlighting more or adding that we don't have already?
2: Honestly, I think your courses, are they're very comprehensive. I think the issue is that not everyone that should be attending them is attending them, meaning it kind of goes back to the training that the individuals went through. So if you talk about vascular fellowships and residency programs, again, the emphasis on learning venous disease is not there. And, you know, in the similar way that we're now mandated to take the RPVI and be certified in ultrasound interpretation, I think there should be some mandate as to how to treat venous disease. And it's actually not even part of the case logs. Uh, So I think if there was a little more front, you know, push at the front end, Getting more of these individuals to actually reach out to these courses that are clearly available and they're very comprehensive, I think we would see more. Again, you know, educated vein specialists out there.
1: I agree, and I and I have seen that over the years. The ACP and the AVF have been quite obviously. It's striving not. great Pam. Stri- it's
0: not the ACP anymore.
1: Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> we we uh,
0: the name. We just changed the name last week. Oh. Yes. It's the American Vein and Lymphatic Society. Okay,
1: the American the Vein.
0: AVLS. That's, <laughs> the AVLS. You heard it first here on this podcast. Yes.
1: The We've AVLS yes. and the AVF have been um, doing a lot to um, get the courses out there, to um, get all physicians, not just surgeons, involved in the education. So I think that's a, that's a huge step in the right direction.
0: Okay, now my final thought about what we should do for the courses, uh, we do do courses for, you know, at, at, at a lot of the, the main meetings, we have a separate segment for fellows or uh, medical students or residents, and, and obviously we have a separate course from the American Venus Forum, the fellows course in venous disease. Do you think we should look to find, just like in the arterial world, young, you know, young surgeons courses, so to speak, that... That people who've been in practice for one to five years or so, their needs, perhaps, the younger person's needs are a little bit different than someone like me who's been, you know, practicing for thirty something years. What, what do you think about adding that uh, segment to some of the courses, or do you feel that a young person's, uh, you know, just starting out is not necessarily any different than? People have been practicing.
1: I personally would take any other any extra education that's offered
0: to me. <laughs> it's, like, it's also for like a networking kind of thing, absolutely. like you guys absolutely. Can, can you know? It's
2: it's,
1: it's uh, I think it's a great opportunity. Over
2: yeah, I think you know vein practice development. You know when you're already in practice, you know tips tricks things like that. I think that's always great for because there's always new things to learn from technology standpoint research.
1: I think that absolutely would be yeah, a, a especially good idea. with all the new as Angela said, the new technologies that are coming coming out, the coding, the CPT codes, all right. of that, but, that changes but, but by the year.
0: I know, but those are things... I'm, guys, I'm trying to get you to answer this question. <laughs> so those are things that every vein specialist would want to know about what you just... I want to know...
2: Like a training course. What,
0: the training, a um, philosophical aspect to it, and a approach to developing your practice kind of... I'm talking about what... And you may not think it. Are there any needs that younger... People who are, who are just starting out in the vain world need and would like to meet with others like them, um, rather than in in you know the the big main meeting. Do you th- do you think that we should gear things towards people like you, Pam? Angela's almost moving out of that that time <laughs> slot that I named, but
1: <laughs> almost an old dog. Now. I I agree. Yes, I, I'm not. I don't know exactly. What you're trying to well, I think what he's at. saying is, uh, let me interject. He's good. Let's say that they set up a
2: young phlebologists course. No, we
0: call them vein specialists.
2: Vein young phlebologists. Vein we
0: even got rid of the phlebology <laughs> in the American College of Phlebology. It's the vein specialist. Now. This is
2: good. I'm learning. Yeah. Um, so a young vein specialist sort of training or session mm-hmm. or. And it was not at any national meeting. It was at some location mm-hmm. convenient in the United States. And there were about 20 of these vein specialists. Would you go two or three years out
1: from your training? Yeah, yeah. definitely. To yeah.
0: talk with your fellows, uh, to fellow mm-hmm. young people as to what's going on. We always see the reason I'm doing this is that the podcast, we always like to come up with some, some conclusive decision. We've come up with some. Are there too many meetings? That was been one thing. How do we make meetings more interesting? That was another thing. We came up with what we were just talking to the uh, oh, yes, the name change. What goes into changing uh, a name? Okay. So people understood that as well. So here with I'm, now, if you don't agree, you don't have to agree with me just because I'm the one running the podcast. You can say, no, it's, you know, Steve, we really don't need that. We're fine the way we are. But I was asking you if you thought some unique something meeting or, or or get together or with people who are around your practice level might might be helpful going forward. The other thing reason I think it would be helpful is you hopefully will become the leaders in the future. And it's good early on to have connections with those of your <laughs> peers that are your same age so that you grow together Absolutely. and you then become you know, you can name all of us that are friends. At you know, at my at my level, you know, where we ha- we all hang around together and stuff. It's the same idea. I'm thinking of younger people. You got to hang around for the next twenty or twenty five years together, exactly. Doing what we're doing now, because
2: right. we it's need people like you. You know, yeah. I,
0: I'm not always going to be here, and and everybody else that's doing been doing it as long as me are not going to be here. But we need to to identify the upcoming people. So. You are identified as the upcoming people. Okay, <laughs> you have to. are you really willing to take that mantle, ch- that marker? The moniker? charge has been implemented. Okay? <laughs> it's most welcome. Okay, good. And but when you become the people, there's kind of the rules to live by. My rules to live by are: respect the elders, embrace the new, encourage the improbable and impractical without bias. So when you guys have become leaders. Always remember, you do still got to respect the elders, those that came before.
2: I accept those criteria. Okay, good. (laughs) I agree.
0: (laughs) All right. So let's uh, wrap it up here at the VETH meeting since um, usually at the Veath meeting, no lecture or talk or anything takes more than three to five minutes. We've been talking for much longer. (laughs) So in the spirit of Veith, we will end now. But I want to thank both of you very much, and uh, we'll see everybody next time on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Hope you enjoyed this podcast. We try at Vain Magazine to bring you what we think are the important topics in the Vain world. We'd love to have your thoughts on the Vain Magazine podcast. Please review us on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Just search for Vain Magazine with Dr. Steve Elias. Thanks, and we'll see you on the next podcast.